Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here. It's been a few months since we departed for a little while. <laughs> so things have been going well at the other church that we've been pastoring at in English and Spanish. So staying busy with that. But of course, we miss you guys a lot. So it's, uh, it's nice always when I still get to see some of the guys at the community garden and hang out with them. So it's always good. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's great to be here with you guys as well. We, we miss you all. So um, before we start out, uh, let's just start out with a word of prayer, because we always need to turn to the Lord to depend on him for everything, especially when you're trying to convey his words. So let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning that you woke us up and you, you gave us breath that uh, as when we breathe in, we are breathing in your mercy because you have you're sovereign over all things, and you are guiding us and directing us. You knew each person who was meant to be here this morning, and you knew um, what purpose that they were meant to be here. Uh, you are in control of the, the snow, and you are the one who uh, releases it from its clouds and also causes it to cease. And so we look around us, and we see your presence around us in, in all things. And so we, we pray, Lord God, as we dig into your word that we will have ears to hear and to apply it to our lives and be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I'm going to be talking from the book of James, and it's uh, chapter 4, uh, 13 through 17. So if you have your Bibles, we'll um, be going through this verse by verse. And um, there's a lot of people that try to talk about their, their, the, uh, their New Year's resolutions, for example. You know, they, we're in the new year, and people like to uh, say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going I'm to lose weight, I'm going I'm to have my, do something different. And of course, then the next week, they're eating a whole cheesecake, and uh, so much for that. It's because we depend on ourselves, our strength, our abilities. And, uh, and so James here has been guiding us through, if you look through the whole book, if you want to summarize it, is basically, as Martin Luther um, once said, true and living faith, which the Holy Spirit instills in the heart, simply cannot be inactive. And that is what his summary is. He's telling us to guard our tongue. He's telling us to, uh, to if you have faith, show me that you have faith by showing me your works, by showing me, and even... And, and your works are a gift from God. Uh, and he's, he's showing us practical things that we can use in our lives. A lot of people use the book of James and call it the Proverbs of the New Testament. And so when we think about these New Year, New Year resolutions and, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And um, it kind of reminded me of the old song by, made popular by Frank Sinatra in 69, My Way. And, you know, it's a popular song, and we love the song, it's, it's, it's catchy, but at the same time, if you really think about it and analyze it, it's an anthem of rebellion against God. Because it says this, and now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. So his end is near, he's about to, and his life's coming to an end. And my friend, I say it clear, I'll state my case, of which I'm certain, he has confidence in himself. I've lived my life, a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, 
I did it my way. Regrets, I have few, but then again, too few to mention, no repentance. I did what I had to do, I saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, I stood tall, and I did it my way. And if you think about those words, that is exactly what human nature says. We say it's my way or the highway. We say it's about me. That's why the best books that you see, the best-selling books on the bookshelves are things like Have Your Best Life Now. It's all about me. Essentially, from the beginning, from Genesis, it's about pride. You know, when Adam and Eve said they wanted to be like God, they wanted to have all knowledge, and, and they wanted to be like God. And we see out through, throughout human history, even to Babel, where they said, God wanted us to disperse, but we're going to stay here and we're going to build a name for ourselves. That is our instinct as humans. And as James 4, 6 says, right before we get to these verses that we're focusing on, he says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so that is what essentially is what a, per, a human being that has been transformed by the power of God through the gospel is someone now is humbled knowing that we are sinners saved by the grace of God and now we want to live in complete obedience to his will. Our lusts have changed now. In 1 Peter 4.2 it says, No longer live the rest of the time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And 1 John 2.17 says, The world is passing away and also its lust." But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And so those that are in Christ now have submits to his will and will dwell with him for eternity. And in Psalm 143.10 says, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So you can see the attitude is very different than what we see in the song My Way that it is humility that says, teach me your will. I want to do it, I want to know it, I want to obey it, and you're my everything. You're my all in all. And so as we read James 4, 13 through 17, let's focus on what the Word of God is trying to say to us today as we try to find what is the will of God for our lives. And so it says this, come now, Let's get that on there for you. Come now, who, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. And yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. And therefore, to the one who knows to do the right thing and does not do it, to him it is sin. So these are the very words of God that we have just read here today. And so what we see here is someone saying that today or tomorrow, I'm going to do this or that. 
I have plans. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live it up. I'm going to have my best life. I'm going to do what I want, and I'm going to have success. Is it a, pl- a sin to plan? Absolutely not. We know that that's a good thing to do. It's, it's good to, sit, to, to, to plan what you want to do for the future, and, and, uh, and so that's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is what you're seeing in these texts is that, that they are not trying to include God in their planning. And where is their dependency as well? They're not depending on God for their plans to, and, and depend on where they're going to be led and where they're going to go and what would be the result. It's the same thing when we do resolutions. It's all about us and what we want, and we don't include some, a higher power in that. The second thing that we see here is that they plan to arrive at a specific destination. They say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. But how do you know you're going to get to that city? And why that city? Then you go and you look at the, what he's trying to say there. He said, this is where we want to go. We want to go to this place. We want to do our thing there. And we're going to do it. We're not going to counsel with anyone, <clears throat> especially God. And the third thing, we plan to spend a certain amount of time there. Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. And we will spend a year there. So you see this confidence now that we know we're going to do this tomorrow. We know we're going to get to this certain place. And also, we're going to spend a specific amount of time there. The fourth thing we see is that they plan to do business or engage in business while they're there in this city. They say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business. We're going to make money. We're going to make a profit. We're going to, we're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to be big time. We're going to use our intelligence and our skills and our talents, and, and we're going to do big things. We're going to do important things. And then you see that they have those the results, the fifth thing they say, that we're going to make a profit. We're not only going to go to the city, and we're not only know we're going to get there, and we're not only going to spend a specific amount of time there, but we're also going to make some money there, and we're going to have success. It's not just we're going to start something. We're, going to, we're not just going to break even. We're going to make some profit. And so what you see here is we will go, we will spend, we will gauge in, and we will make a profit. You see, we, we, we. It's like the, the little toe on the, on the, that you tell your kids. We, we, we. Go all the way home. It's, that, it's all about us. We, we, we. And what this basically is, is practical atheism, which says that they, we believe there is a God, but yet we live as if he does not exist. That is practical atheism. And so Proverbs 19.21 says, Many thoughts are in a man's heart, but it is the counsel of Yahweh that will stand. And so our human instinct is to depend on ourselves and not God. In fact, we want to be God. We want to be sovereign. That's why we see this throughout our, throughout our nation. We see, we see rulers and kings and, and government officials that want to play God. We see people that want to say, it's my body, my choice. I'm God. I take, I take the choice. I, it's me. It's what I want to do. We don't want to answer to anyone, and we don't want to share the glory. That's for sure, certain. We want all the glory to ourselves when actually we were designed for the glory of God alone. And so the Greek word for uh, prophet is kerdos. And, and this is actually describes more than just prophet. It also describes the love of prophet. And so Jesus uses this word in Matthew 16, uh, 26, the well-known word 
there is Kerriano. Uh, and that is actually what he says, what will profit a man to gain, Kerriano, that's the word profit or love for profit, the whole world and lose his soul? Or what will a man uh, give in exchange for his soul? And so you can see the context there of how he's using it. The love of money, the love of profit, the love of self over the love of God and the love of his will for your life. And then we see that in verse 14 that tomorrow is not promised. I mean, we see this uh, in, in living in these times of COVID and all these things, and there's many more things that you, if you look at statistics of what's going on in the world, how many people have cancer and how many people have passed away just this, at this morning, when you look at the numbers and it, that, that clock just ticking of how many people are going, passing away, our life is, 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 is very fragile. Tomorrow is not promised. And it says here that yet you, what do you think? You think you're going to do all these things. You think you have all these plans, but yet your life is a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And so he says, do you think you know everything? And how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? And then your life is like a breath that this morning when you walked outside and you saw your breath in the cold and then it disappears, that is your life. That's what God is trying to say to us. In the Word of God, it says that it's like a flower or grass. 1 Peter 1.24 says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. It says that our life is like a shadow. Job 8.9, For we are only of yesterday, and know nothing, because our days on earth are but a shadow. And Psalm 102.11 says, My days are like an outstretched shadow, and as for me, I dry up like grass. It also says that your life is like a breath. And Psalms 144.4 says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Psalms 139.5 says, Behold, you have made my days as hand breaths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely... Man, even standing firm, is altogether vanity, selah. And it's interesting that word that is found in this, in this particular verse is habel, which is the Hebrew word for breath. And if you look for this a little bit deeper, it actually means vapor. So that's what the, the psalmist is saying here. But even as can be translated as vanity, that our life is vanity, the wisest man that, that lived, uh, and Solomon, wrote in Ecclesiastes 11.10, it says, So remove vexation from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, because childhood and the prime of life are vanity. And so Martin Luther said this one time, he said, Feelings come and feelings go. Feelings are deceiving. My guarantee is the word of God. There is nothing else worth believing. And so what you see is that our life is fragile, our feelings are fragile, our ideas are fragile, and yet the only thing that we can rely on and have confidence in is God, and God alone. But see, again, it goes back to that song, My Way, because then you look at verses 16 and 17, and it says about boasting and arrogance. It says that, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And therefore, to one who knows to do the right thing and does not do it, to him it is sin. And so what we see is you boast falsely about your presumption and your vanity. 
You, the boasting is in the present tense in indicating that this is the, their usual practice. This is something normal for them. They just, they just boast about, all about them. Look what I've done. Look at my accomplishments. And, and, and look at look what, what I can do tomorrow. And look where I'm going. Follow me. Don't look to some higher power. Look to me. And in essence, they are glorifying themselves. That's what we see. Of course, God uses all sorts of things to, to help us in, in our world. But we see man likes to take the credit for it. Like, depend on this, and I'll take care of you. Take, I'll, I'll give you this handout, and I'll help you with this, and trust me for everything. And then you see that we just follow them blindly. That is man's instinct. We don't consider and seek the will of God. You don't pray. You don't study the word of God. And you don't ask for advice from pastors or other believers. And essentially, Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. I mean, you think about this. You know, we think about this example of the chances of things happening the way you want it. That if you had 10 pennies and you marked those 10 pennies with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and then you put them in your pocket, and you just start mixing them up, just mixing up those, those pennies in your pocket. And then you try to pull them out in order from 1 to 10. I mean, this is, this, is, this is how prideful we are, because this is your chances of things happening exactly the way you want it to happen. So the chances of rolling the number 1 and are 1 in 10. So just pulling out that 1. Rolling 1 and 2 in order is 1 in 100. Rolling one, two, and three in order is one in a thousand. To get one, two, three, four in order is one in ten thousand. And taking out each penny in order from one to ten is one in ten billion. So you think about that. You think about you. You think that you can determine what you're going to do tomorrow and what what the results are going to be without relying on anybody else, without God or his word and seeking him in prayer and seeking him in his written word where he tells us everything that we need to know and we don't go to seek wise counsel, that is your chances of you seeing the results you want. See, the human nature desires to be God, to be sovereign. And in a famous poem, William Ernest uh, Henley, titled Invictus, who died in 1903, he expressed this attitude perfectly of human nature in this poem. His attitude expresses a man who knows that there's a God, but yet chooses to be God himself. This is what he says. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever God may be for the, my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud under the uh, blun uh, bludgeons of chance. My head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horrors of the shade, and yet the menace of the years find and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishment the scroll. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. See, this is what humans think of themselves when they exclude God from the equation. The Romans says that 
there is no such thing as an atheist, that they know there's a God because it's evident all around them in all of creation, yet they suppress the truth and they believe a lie instead of the truth. And they begin to worship the created things rather than the creator himself. Our sin, we sin when we, don't, when we don't do what we know we should do. The Word of God tells us everything that we need to do, and yet we never turn to it. And then when we do read it and we see that it tells us that, we say, it says that, but maybe, maybe it says this. I like, I, I like to say that this interpretation is better. And we go online and we try to find a better interpretation or a better commentary that fits our desires and needs. That is our instinct in this. The sin of omission is a sin that is the result of doing something that God's word teaches us to do, and yet we don't do it. And so that's kind of like the example of children. You know, when they, they, you tell them, they know they, they need to go to bed at a certain time, and they go and they look at the clock, and they're watching TV, and they, they keep, all right, mom and dad's not around, so let's just keep going and watching TV. See, they know what time they're supposed to go to bed. They see the clock, but nobody's saying anything. So let's just, maybe they won't, they won't realize that we're not, we, we can get a little 30 minutes more or something like that. That's a, that's a very simple analogy of, of what we do, is that we, we know what we should do, and we act like God is not omnipresent seeing everything that we're doing and all-powerful, and yet we continue to do what we should not do. And so... Our God is sovereign. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. And it is a fool, a fool to, to think that your life as if, in, and live your life as if God does not exist at all. And though you believe he does, you're actually a practical atheist by believing he does and acting like he does not. And there are people that believe that God exists, but do not include him in his plans. And you are not ignoring the existence of God's will, but only existence of God's will, but you're also ignoring the benefits of God's will. I mean, you think about this, that not only are you ignoring that he, that he has a will for your life, but there's benefits that come along with obeying his will, that he has all these great, wonderful things for you, and yet you try to, you want to learn the hard way. And just like a child does that, and it says in Hebrews that he's a good father, and so he disciplines his children, and, he, and, the, and sometimes that discipline, is, that hurts. And we learn the hard way, but if we would have just followed his will from the beginning, but the reality is, he wanted you here, you went that way, you had to learn the hard way to end up right back to where he wanted you in the beginning. And that is the, how the will of God works. The sovereignty of God is like that. I've used this a lot where it's like if you have an ant on, your, on a book and he's running wherever he wants and you, kinda, you just want him to come this way, you just turn the Bible, you know, the book, wherever you want. He, he ends up coming where you want. The ant thinks he's in control, but he's not. You're in control. He, you're guiding him where he's supposed to go. The chapter 5 of the, in paragraph 1 of the 1689 uh, Baptist Confession of Faith says that God, the good creator of all things, and his infinite power and wisdom upholds, directs, arranges, governs all creatures and things, from the greatest to the least, by his perfectly wise and holy providence, to the purpose for which they are, were created. He governs according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will, 
His providence leads to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. There's a, a great definition of the providence of God. And that providence is something that you can rely on if you just turn and, and yield to it and submit to it. Divine providence is God's rule by which uh, he wisely and lovingly cares and directs all things in the universe. To ensure that his purposes are accomplished, God governs the affairs of men and works through the natural order of things. God is in total control of all things. And so what we see is that God is sovereign over the universe as a whole. Psalm 103, 19 says, Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. He's sovereign over the physical world. Matthew 5, 45 says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes the sun, his son, and, and to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In another section in Matthew, it says, look at the birds. They don't depend on, they don't, they, they don't worry about their food. They, they know that their maker is going to provide. Or that the bird does not fall from the tree to his death without God's very permission. The affairs of nations are under his control. Psalm 66, 7, he rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. In another area in, in Proverbs, it says, he has the hearts of the kings in his hands like water through his fingers. And he's over human destiny. Galatians 1.15, Paul talking about himself. And he says, when God, who has set me apart from my mother's womb, called me through his grace, he was pleased. He is sovereign over the successes and human failures. Luke 1.52 says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. The, the, he's over the protection of his people. Psalm 4.8, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Yahweh, make me to abide in safety. The doctrine directly opposes the idea that the universe is ruled by chance or destiny or luck. Through divine providence, God accomplishes his will. His sovereignty is the pillow you can rest your head upon. And so what is the will of God? How many people have asked this question? I just wish I knew the will of God for my life. I wish I knew my purpose. The word of God and it says that your purpose is to glorify him and to enjoy him completely. But there's also many things that you can find. Just a few examples of God's will for your life is salvation. In 1 Timothy 2.4, who desires all men to be saved, to come to the full knowledge of truth. He desired you to be saved. He fixed his love upon you before you were ever born. Before he said, let there be light. He knew you. He planned it for you. And he destined everything for you. And he knew every aspect of your life, every obstacle, every trial, every tribulation that would lead you to his loving, caring arms through his salvation, that grace that he bestowed upon you. That's sovereignty of God in your life. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5, 17 through 18. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk in, uh, with wine but for this dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit of God. 
This is something he wants you to not only have salvation, but be sealed with the Holy Spirit, that you may live according to his will, to be more like Christ, and to be filled in greater measure, that you be empowered to go out and to make disciples. He wants you to live honorably, 1 Peter 2.15, for such is the will of God, that by doing good, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. He wants you to be holy, that's something churches don't like to talk about nowadays, to be holy. They love to say, come as you are, we love you just the way you are, and you can go home and continue in your sin. It's a cheap grace. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality. And it goes on to list many other things, that you be like Christ, to be holy, separated from the world. He wants in your life to suffer for Christ rather than doing wrong. 1 Peter 3.17, For it is better if God should will it so that you should suffer for doing good rather than doing wrong. That's in opposition to the prosperity gospel that says that God wants to give you everything you wish for. He's your genie in a bottle. Just ask it, and demand it, declare it, and he will, he's going to give it to you. But what if he doesn't? In those moments is when you say, though you slay me, I will worship you. And be always thankful is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A summary of all this is that you are called and destined and created to bring glory to God. And so what we see in, in the verse 15 is a mark of a true believer. It says this, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. I think about how sanctification happens even in my own life. Because I have a good friend who's a pastor in Pennsylvania. And he, as he started, his theology started changing. He started seeing what the Word of God said, he kept saying, uh, well, I'll see you later on if the Lord wills. And, uh, and, and at that time, because I was immature spiritually, I was like, that kind of like, you know, kind of like was a, what in the world is he talking about if the Lord wills? Of course he wants you to see me later on. You know, like, it was just my, my arrogance, my pride. And then as I started learning and God starts to open your eyes and you start seeing, oh yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to see him tomorrow. I don't know. And so what we see here, and if you read the letters of Christians hundreds of years ago, you may have noticed that at the end of a letter it said DV. And these two letters stand for the word Deo Volente in Latin, which means if the Lord wills. That's how they sign their letters. In Acts 18.21, Paul left Ephesus and said, I will return to you again if God wills. We also see that he wanted to go to Asia in, in, in the book of Acts, but God prevented him from going there. And so he led him to someplace else. In 1 Corinthians 4.19, he writes, I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, talking to his, the church that he planted there. And so because we understand the providence of God and his will for our lives, let us say, if the Lord wills. God is sovereign. And the, the Greek word for Lord is kurios, and that means possessor, owner, master, supreme, one who is sovereign. So when we say, you're my Lord, then you're saying, 
You're my, you possess me. You're my master. You're my everything. That's why in Matthew 7, when it said, I did all these things in your name, but they never made him Lord of their lives. He says, you say, Lord, Lord, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Only those who say, have the spirit of God can say, Lord, Lord. And so if we submit to the one who has absolute authority, absolute ownership, and uncontested power. If God wills, we will do. We will do this or that. That teaches us that the activities and achievements of this life are in the hands of God. And God governs what we achieve. Not only are our lives in his hands, but also our successes are in his hands. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so when we submit to his will, when we, we follow his will, we know that even if things don't happen exactly the way we want it, that he's working all things for our good and ultimately for his glory. And so the marks of a, a true Christian is that they want to do the will of God for the glory of God alone. And that our trust is in the Lord and not in ourselves. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And so true freedom is, is, running, is, is not running from God's will, as, as the world would say. But it's yielding to God in everything that we do. A mature and authentic Christian also has discernment. And John 7, 17 says, If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know about the teaching, whether it is from God or I speak for myself. So we see people that if you are a believer and you desire the will of God, when you're listening to the preaching of the word, you don't let just things that will tickle your ear and just say, that sounds good to me. I like that. But actually they're teaching you false teachings. No, you have discernment and you say, I want to know really what the word of God says. The word of God interprets itself. And so I'm going to look at it. I don't want opinion of man. I want to know what the word of God is saying. That is a mark of a true believer, that we are like those that are in the book of Acts, that even when they listened to Paul, they said, let's confirm that that's really what God is trying to say to us. We delight in the will of God. It's not a burden. It's not something, an obligation. We, we delight in his, his will. Psalm 48 says, I desire to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my inner being. And Isaiah 25, 1 says, O Yahweh, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, councils formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. And so, how do you know the word of God? We touched on that a a few times in here. We, We said, first thing, prayer. Prayer. That is something that I think is the hardest thing for us to do sometimes. That we will, we will talk to ourselves before we talk to God. That we will have our own conversation with ourselves and then we won't go and counsel with him. And when we wake up in the morning and we don't pray, it's as we we're saying, I got this today. I don't need to know what your will is for my life. And so prayer is more about bending our will to God. 
It, he knows our, pedi- our petitions. He, when, he, when we bring it to him, we say, I desire this. I want this. I, this is what I, I see that I need for my job or my family, my children, my provisions. I know, this is what I need. And even if you don't give it to me, I know that my, this prayer is reminding me that everything I depend on is, is on you. That I depend on you, not on myself. And so it's bending our will to his will. The word of God is another way to know the will of God. It is the source where we hear from God. It is sufficient. It is inerrant. It has everything that we need to know. It is a closed canon. It's a closed book that says God speaks to us. It's God breathed. It's inspired by God. And it's good for teaching and correcting. And so it guides us in, in making decisions. When we go and we say, is this something that God says in his word, or is it something that's contrary? And then we also do that with wise counsel with other believers, that we seek wise counsel, and we ask brothers and sisters, and we say, this is what I'm thinking about. This is the decisions I'm trying to make, and what do you think about this? And, and you listen to wise counsel from their experiences, and then you also then go back and make sure that it's compared to what the Word of God says. And along with that, you reminded that you are the living temple of the Holy Spirit. You have God himself dwelling within you, and so don't grieve the Holy Spirit by ignoring him. But by seeking his will and following his lead, you would often know where God is leading you. Charles Spurgeon said, when, you, when your will is God's will, you will have your will. So when you, your will is God's will, you will have your will. And so in this life, you will experience suffering. You will be beaten down by the battle with sin. And you'll have conflicts in relationships and and finances and health issues, and you'll make plans to improve your life. But, and you'll make all these kind of important decisions in your life. Young people will make big decisions about you know, where they're going to attend college and university and who they're going to marry and all these big decisions. However, we always have to put our dependence on God alone. And so let us seek his wisdom and let us seek his will for our lives that, and let it govern our motivations and our desires. And even when his will and his plans for our lives conflict with our desires, We cannot attempt to change God who is immutable, unchangeable. We must conform to him. If it was good enough for Jesus that he said in Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus, give us a deeper repentance and a horror of sin, a dread of its approach, and help us chastely to flee it and jealously to resolve that my heart shall be yours alone. Give us a deeper trust that I may lose myself to find myself in you, the ground of my rest and the springs of our being. Give me a deeper knowledge of yourself as Savior, Master, Lord, and King, and give us deeper power in private prayer, more sweetness in your word, more steadfast grip in its truth. Give us deeper holiness in speech, thought, action, and let us not seek moral virtue apart from you. Plow deep in us, great Lord, heavenly husband, that our being may be tilled, filled 
that the roots of grace spreading far and wide until you alone are seen in us. Your, your beauty, golden like summer harvest, your faithfulness as autumn plenty. We have no master but you, no law but your will, no delight but yourself, no wealth but you that gives, no good but that you bless, no peace but that you bestow. I am, we are nothing but that you make, uh, but that you make us. We have nothing but that I receive from you. We can be nothing from that grace adorns me. Query deep in me, dear Lord, and then fill me with the overflowing of living water. That is the desire of an authentic Christian to say, not my will, but your will be done. That though you slay me, I will worship you. Though you take from me, I will give to you. Though, you, though that you, I may not see the final results, I may not know what tomorrow brings, I may not have that person that I love next to me tomorrow, but I will trust completely upon your, your goodness and your grace. For you are sovereign over all things, controlling all things and working all things for my good and for your glory. And so let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you are so faithful, even when we have been unfaithful to you. You've been loving and kind and gracious that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ came and he lived the life I could not live and went to the cross and bore the punishment that I deserved. And what more can I ask of you? You need not give me anything, for you have given me everything. For when this life ends, I know that I will spend glory, eternity with you. And so we pray, Lord God, for each person here that may be struggling with your will, maybe struggling with worry and, and not knowing what tomorrow will bring, and give them the peace that passes all understanding that comes through Jesus Christ, and knowing that you are on the throne reigning over all things. Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. In Jesus' name, amen.